We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you for the rest of this hour here on Camo X. Thanks for staying up late with us. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. This was, uh, I haven't been on the air here uh, since Thanksgiving, and Matt Pajeski and I were talking earlier in the first hour about, uh, about our Thanksgiving holidays. I did get into a little bit of hot water, Matt, uh, because before we had about 16, 17 people at our house. And, and before we sat down, before we said thanks to God and ate, I did say that I wanted us to have <clears throat> a more authentic Thanksgiving. And Matt's already grinning like, yeah, this, I don't know where this is going. So I, I only suggested five things that we could do to make our Thanksgiving more authentic. Five seems like a lot, just off the bat. Just saying. just a few. I okay. just gave five ideas, and n- nobody liked my ideas, particularly my wife. But I said, first of all, we're we're going to wait for half of all of our relatives to die in the harsh winter, you know, before we have a celebration. Yeah, yeah, okay. nobody liked that. Uh, I also suggested that we should have invited that famous Native American Elizabeth Warren to bring oh. us a deer carcass. Yeah, no, nobody liked that either. Uh, oh, well, I do. Uh, two two of my relatives did like that one, but no, nobody else did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I said that uh, uh, our one of the people who were it was at our meal. I, I could ask them to to deliver a three hour Puritan sermon before the meal. Uh, and nobody liked that idea. And then my last idea was we could lose a couple of fingers to frostbite. But unfortunately, for this Thanksgiving, it was like in the fifties. These are all great ideas. I don't know why this didn't take off. Brad. No, just, no, nobody liked it. Would have been a great time. Would it would have been. Would have been a great time, but no, nobody appreciated it. But uh, but I, I I still enjoyed it. Hey, one of the things you just heard at the top of the aisle, a top of the hour, was that Missouri uh, executed the uh, uh, individual Kevin Johnson. And I, I got to tell you, I, I'm not sure exactly, which is rare for me. I'm I'm very strongly opinionated, but I'm not exactly sure where I stand on the death penalty. But let me tell you why. It doesn't bother me uh, morally. It doesn't bother me ethically. It certainly doesn't bother me legally uh, that we have the death penalty in this country. And the fact that Mr. Johnson broke the law, he murdered a police officer in 2005, uh, it doesn't bother me that he was executed for that crime. 
That is not the point of my consternation. Where I become concerned is in this area and this area alone. What is the purpose for the death penalty? The purpose of the death penalty is twofold. Number one, to have a a punishment for a crime that is roughly equal to the gravity of the crime committed. You kill somebody, then you're executed. This would suffice that. But here's my problem is when the second rationale for the death penalty, the second rationale is that uh, that is supposed to deter deter other criminal activity by putting someone to death. And if a guy like Kevin Johnson, he commits a crime in 2005 and he's not executed until 2022, some 17 years after the crime is committed. Is that really a deterrent for other people to say, oh, I better not commit this crime. If I get the death penalty, I'm going to die. Does anyone ever think that today? If there's going to be a 17-year gap between the time the crime is committed and the time that the execution is performed? I don't think so. So, and also even on point one, does the crime, does the punishment fit the crime If you get to spend 17 years after you are convicted of this crime and you get to live in prison for 17 years, is that that mean he got to live 17 years longer than his victim did? His victim died in 2005. Mr. Johnson got an additional 17 years. Is that fair? It's probably not. And so hear me when I say this. I'm suggesting and just asking the question. Does it fulfill either one of those purposes for the death penalty if the individual gets to live for an additional 17 years and if that act of executing, which is the ultimate act of punishment that a government can do, if it takes 17 years to carry that out, does that operate in any way as a deterrence to other criminal activity? Now, if I were on the Supreme Court and it came up before me, I would vote for it. I would say, yep, the law says he he can be executed. We find no reversible error. That's what the law says. Proceed. I, I wouldn't have voted against it like uh, Katanji Brown Jackson did. But I, but from an idea of a big idea, from thinking about this intellectually, I just question whether it fulfills either of those two purposes. What do you think? It should should we be executing criminals? Is that something that has gone by the wayside? Is that something that, that was for yesteryear but not for today? If we're an enlightened society, should we still be executing criminals? And on the other side, is this something we should be doing more of? I mean, I think the states that, that uh, execute the most number of criminals are Texas and Missouri. Is this something that we should be doing more of? Should we be lessening that time between the conviction And the time that that punishment is doled out in the ultimate way. Is that something that uh, that we should be doing? What are your thoughts? 314-436-7900. Talking about the death penalty here on 50,000 red hot watts of X. Don't go away. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We had a caller here uh, at the top of the hour. I want to get back to this. We had a caller... In the last segment, uh, rather in the last hour, I was talking about the Kraft lawsuit that was filed. And the, it was requesting, the attorney was requesting certification for class action status. And somebody called in and said, well, you can't file a class action lawsuit. That's only something that a judge can do. Well, that's only partially true. You can file a class action lawsuit, but it has to be certified by a judge. You have to demonstrate that there is more than one individual in the exact same circumstances uh, who share your damages based upon the alleged acts of the defendant. So in this instance with the Kraft case, it, it hasn't been certified yet that I know of, but to me it's just a it's a de facto certification because anyone who's ever bought Kraft macaroni and cheese would be in, in the potential class. So you could have a class action here of millions of people in this country, uh, every college student, anyone who's ever been to college is going to be a potential plaintiff in this. So it could easily get certified as a class action lawsuit. Now, I hope it doesn't. It's frivolous, and I hope it gets dismissed, and I hope it never gets to that point. But uh, you can actually file a class action lawsuit, but the the point is a judge does have to certify it. That's one of the protections that our courts have. And uh, But in this instance, I don't think that will be a problem. There's a lot of problems with this lawsuit, but getting certification probably isn't one of them. One of the things that we, we did here in Missouri uh, on Election Day, in the midterm elections, was that we, as a state, we approved a state constitutional amendment that legalizes marijuana. And one of the things that I have been saying up until that happens, and I knew it was a foregone conclusion, the state would do it. I'm not in favor of it for a lot of reasons. Um, In particular, because it's a constitutional amendment, the state is going to have a difficult time, if at all, being able to regulate this business because it's it's in the state constitution. I think that's a problem. But there are a lot of other issues uh, with legalizing marijuana. One of them was a point that I made many times, was economics. Now, how does this work? Let me talk about it because a, a, a actual study came out today proving the point that I've been talking about for the better part of a couple of years when it comes to legalizing, actually since 2018, when Missouri uh, legalized medical marijuana. And of course, it was only, a, it was a foregone conclusion that we would we would eventually legalize recreational marijuana. But here's the issue, and I love economics. Because economics explains why things happen. It explains how commerce works. And in many ways, it explains how we live. I mean, you live where you live right now because that's where you can afford to live. If you had more money, you could afford to buy a bigger house. If everyone had more money, 
you'd be in the same house because all the houses would cost more money. And to me, that's fascinating because it explains how things are. Now, what does that have to do with marijuana? This. One of the points that I've been making for years is that if you legalize marijuana, you're only going to encourage the use of more illegal marijuana. Now, how does that work? That That's a contrarian perspective. One would think if weed were legal, that people would buy legal weed and the demand for illegal weed would go down. That's what you would think uh, should happen. But think like a chess player, not like a checker player. And, and a study shows this out in California. In California, the demand for illegal pot is at an all-time high. Now, mar- marijuana in California has been legal for years over there. So if it's legal in California, why is the demand for marijuana, illegal marijuana, at an all-time high? Economics. It's economics. And that's what I love about it. Let me give you the numbers and show you how this works. According to the study that came out today, the effective tax rate on marijuana is between 45 and $90 per ounce. That's the tax. The cost to produce marijuana is $35 an ounce. So if you go and buy legal weed, and I know it's hard to do math, and I'm going to do the math for you. If you go and buy legal weed, the cheapest it's ever going to be is about $75 an ounce, give or take a few bucks. And the highest it's going to be is about $125 an ounce. So just to recap here to show you how this works, if you go to the Weeds R Us store and you buy weed and they're going to charge you between $75 and $125 for a one-ounce bag. Now, let's go back to economics. If it only costs $35 to produce that, and the guy on the street who can produce marijuana for $35 an ounce, he's going to start selling it now for $50 an ounce, which is between 50% and 100% less than the legal weed. So once people buy the legal weed and say, hey, I kind of like this product, but I don't really like paying 100 bucks on average, for an ounce of this stuff, and the guy on the street corner is selling illegal weed for $50 an ounce, who's not going to buy the cheaper product? Everyone. Everyone's going to buy the cheaper product because that's what we do. That's what economics are. If you go to the grocery store and there's two packages of identical hot dogs, you're going to buy the cheaper one. If you go and you buy a product that's the name brand product and there's a generic product, that you're not going to be able to tell the difference between those two products, which one are you going to buy? You're always going to buy the cheaper product. And so in California, what they're experiencing is that people, the demand for illegal marijuana is at an all-time high, and the revenues from legal weed are going down because they're being undercut by the competition. Now, I find this to be fascinating on many levels not the least of which is this, public policy. Now, when you have had any conversation with any one of your friends about whether we should legalize weed, I promise you this topic came up. Well, people are going to smoke weed anyway, right? 
So we might as well sell it. We can ensure that it's safe and we can tax it and the government can make some money on it. Every discussion in the history of mankind regarding the legalization of weed starts with that argument. And from a checker player perspective, they're right. If you legalize it, that means their government's going to do something to try to ensure the quality of it. uh, And the government is going to tax it. It's going to provide for services for our residents of our state. So therefore, it's a good thing all the way around. I vote yes. But as I just pointed out, all of those policy, that policy argument in a nutshell, it doesn't even involve whether you think it's ethical or not, whether you think it's moral or not, or whether you think that people should or should not be using an additional substance that's going to impair them cognitively. This is simply economics, not any of those other issues. But if Missouri was sold on the idea, and I literally mean sold, on the idea of if we legalize marijuana, we're going to make X amount of dollars in tax revenue. I don't know what those numbers are, but I promise you, whatever they are, they're false. They're false because California was sold that same bill of goods. And we're seeing now that although it initially met those estimates and maybe even exceeded them, the revenue is going down. We saw the same thing in Colorado. You know, in Colorado, they were the, if they weren't the first, they were right there close to being one of the first states to legalize marijuana. And the tax revenue was crazy high. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue that started coming into the state for a couple of reasons. Number one, people in Colorado said, hey, let's give it a try. Why not? Secondly, people from neighboring states said, hey, let's drive across the border and try it out. People did. But over time, the amount of revenue has failed to keep up with that meteoric rate of tax revenue because of the same economics issue. You can never avoid the problem of economics. You can't do it. You cannot do it. That's why, for example, rent right now is so high everywhere. Rent's gone up. Why? Because the price of houses have gone up. Inflation's crazy high. At this point, you always get politicians who say we should put caps on the amount of rent that can be charged. Well, we went and we went through this experiment in the 1970s in New York City. And guess what happened? As soon as you put a cap on the amount of rent that can be charged, if that cap is at $400 a month, then everyone who was charging $300 a month instantly increased their rate by 100 bucks. Secondly, the other problem is that if you can only get $400, and I'm just making that number up as an arbitrary number, at that point, if you can't make as a business owner, if you can't make any real money on it, are you ever going to redo that kitchen for your tenants? <laughs> Never. Are you ever going to put in a new floor? Never going to happen. Are you ever going to fix up the place? Nope. If the roof is leaking, are you going to fix it? No, you got to buy them a bucket and say, put it under the leaky roof. Why? Economics. So when we look at this issue in Missouri, as this experiment kicks off in probably February, uh, I think that's when legal weed in Missouri will start to be sold, uh, according to uh, the state of Missouri. When that happens, you're going to see initially the tax revenue be higher than projected. And you're going to see the left and people who support 
the sale of marijuana, say, see, look at what we told you. Exactly what we told you is happening. It's bringing in more tax revenue than we anticipated. And that'll be true for a year. That'll be true for two years, maybe even three years. But once the illegal weed business figures out that they can undercut the state by 50 to 100 percent because of taxes, state taxes, local taxes, use taxes, you've never seen so many taxes. Once that happens, then you will see the tax revenue go down. I just had a text came in. Love this text. It says, do does your economic theory apply to alcohol? Well, it doesn't apply to alcohol. And I'll tell you why. Because it's harder to produce. For alcohol, and alcohol is, you know, you've got to get a still, you've got to make it, and the quality control is extremely difficult. Because if you've ever had moonshine before, it's awful. And yet, if you have weed that you buy on the street corner, how much worse is that going to be than the weed that you buy from the weed store right next door? I don't know. I've never smoked pot in my entire life. So I can't tell you from personal experience. But I can tell you that moonshine is very bad and it's awful. (laughs) And nobody wants to drink it. So then you have different factors that mess up that economic theory. But I'm just telling you, if you'll ride this train a couple of years in Missouri, you'll see exactly what California is experiencing now, which is an economic boom that simply becomes a bust. Hey, after this break, we've got more uh, stuff to talk about. What do you think? Do you think this idea of passing marijuana is good? Is it a bad idea? Should we have done it? Should we not have done it? Are you personally in favor of having legal weed from a moral standpoint? Or for you, is it also, like it is for me, an economic conclusion? 314-436-7900. Call or text here on At Your Service. X. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of there. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX. Yeah, man. <laughs> Great choice of music there, Matt Pajeski. Hey, welcome back to uh, KMOX. I've gotten some more texts in here and trying to respond to those as often as I can. So I uh, appreciate your text and calls. Hey, Frank is first up here on KMOX. Frank, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, Frank, listen to me, not your radio. What's on your mind, sir? Uh, well, to what you were talking about in reference to the uh, marijuana and the decision decision to just pass in the state of Missouri. Yes. I own my own business for 40, 40 something years. And I, I know some people that are in their sixties that have done this and with marijuana and never had a problem, never graduated into stronger drugs, whatever. But I also want to approach it from a different standpoint. And that is, from the insurance standpoint, and as the owner of a business, mm-hmm. if you have an employee that goes out for the weekend and just has an, an enjoyable weekend and decides to smoke a joint or two, it stays going to stay with them for 30 days. 
Now, if he is driving a fork truck, driving a, tr- uh, a commercial tractor trailer, whatever, and is in, an ac- is in an accident, then he, Sammy, from the insurance company, is going to be driving under under the influence of drugs. Yep. And it can it can not only ruin him for the next week or month, it can ruin him for his life. And people should think about that because insurance companies will say the same as they have done with a person that was arrested for a DWI and he's gone through everything and come back and he's fine and did went through all the say top and that. I've had insurance companies say, if this gentleman drives for you again, we will not insure him. Hmm. What is the stance of insurance companies? Has anyone investigated that or somebody would have ran well, the, while the, he was the, under the influence of drugs, ran over to yours, hit and I can an tell you, I can tell you that, Frank. Insurance industry, because I represent employers in employment law, including workers' compensation defense. And I just taught a seminar last week on, or two weeks ago, on how do we handle, as employers, how do we handle legal marijuana? And the issue with insurance is very easy to answer, Frank, and that's this. The insurance industry is governed by research and studies. So if if it shows in states that legalize marijuana that there's more accidents, then the insurance companies are simply going to raise their rates. And for business owners like you, you're going to have to pay more money for your business insurance in order to make sure that the insurance companies have enough resources to pay out on the increased claims. Hey, Frank, I've got some other calls here. I'm going to have to get to those, but thanks for calling in this evening. Yeah, I have a question. If, he, if there's an injury, a work injury, mm-hmm. and he was found to be Oh, and they're in influence of drugs. What is it? What is the insurance company stance on that? Well, I can tell you very easily under Section 287 of the Missouri uh, statute, which is the Workers' Compensation Act. If an employee has drugs in his system at the time of a work accident, the benefits to the employee are decreased by 50 percent. So if the employee would be entitled to a work comp settlement of, say, fifty thousand dollars, then that settlement would be reduced to 25000 if the accident occurs when there's drugs in his system. Hey, Frank, appreciate you calling in this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Bill's been holding for a very long time. Hey, Bill, welcome to KMOX. Oh, thank you. Uh, I just have two points. One, economic, and that is down the road, you know, health care costs associated with this. Uh, we're going to be paying some bills here that we're not, you know, in, uh, spelled out correctly in that. Uh, Amendment three, and so healthcare costs, you know, yes. apathy, uh, just all the things that are going to be associated with it, and uh, and then there are some people that, you know, don't stay with uh, marijuana their whole lives. They move on to higher and different drugs, and so so we're going to have to be paying for those costs. But so that's an economic side. But I also th- think, you know, from a moral standpoint, I sit down on Thanksgiving, I have a glass of wine with my mother you know, the family, and then you know, maybe my 16-year-old daughter sneaks a drink of wine, you know, that's kind of a tradition. You know, <laughs> that's, that's that. But, you know, that's not the same thing. People associate alcohol with marijuana as the same. But, you know, sitting down and passing the joint to my mother and then passing the joint to my daughter, it, the two are just not comparable at all. And so I'm, I'm tired I of agree. hearing oh, alcohol and, and marijuana are the same. You know, if you abuse alcohol, yes, it's the same. So really, smoking marijuana is equivalent to alcohol abuse. Yes. But a lot of people don't abuse alcohol. So 
you know, you don't, you can't just compare it. Well, Bill, Bill, to to support you, first of all, I agree with you 100 percent. But I will tell you, one one night uh, as as we were leading up to the vote, I was talking about this as a topic. Somebody called in and said, well, Brad, do you think isn't marijuana or rather isn't alcohol just as dangerous as marijuana? I mean, the idea is that marijuana is no more dangerous than alcohol. And so I flipped it around, Bill, and I said, so, caller, you agree that that marijuana is just as dangerous as alcohol. And they said, yes. And I said, why on earth would you want to encourage people to use more of a drug that you already admit is as dangerous as alcohol? And the person hung up. So uh, and, and my and my rule is if you hang up during a during a discussion, that means I win. So I, I enjoyed that a lot. But no, I agree with you, Bill. It's not the same. And I think uh, 20 and 50 years from now, we're going to realize that we were sold a bill of goods on marijuana that was simply untrue because of the health care costs, the moral costs, the other societal costs of legalizing marijuana, I think will be dramatic decades from now uh, that we simply can't see today. I agree. Agree. Well, hey, thank you for calling in, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of other texts about this, uh, some pro, some against. So I appreciate your input here. 314-436-7900 on the, on the issue of, of marijuana. And I find this to be an interesting topic for many, many reasons. But w- since earlier we were talking about uh, Kevin Johnson, he's the individual, the gentleman who was put to death this evening uh, in, in Bonterre. And I don't approach this lightly. A a person's life was taken, and it was done at the request and through the administration of our state government. And anytime you talk about that, that's a serious topic, and it's not one to be taken lightly. But having said that, Mr. Johnson committed a crime, and he received the punishment from that crime. We can debate, and we can argue, and we can discuss whether that judgment was appropriate or not appropriate, but it's without debate that he received the punishment for the crime that he committed. Now, let's take that back just for a few minutes here to our marijuana discussion, because on Amendment 3, when it was passed uh, earlier in November, additionally, or in addition to legalizing marijuana for the state of Missouri, It also expunged the records of anyone who was convicted of a marijuana-related crime. And I've got to tell you, I have an enormous problem with that. Because let me compare Kevin Johnson, since he's in the news today, to legalizing marijuana. If Kevin Johnson, if, for example, uh, Kevin Johnson himself, in asking for the death death penalty to not be administered, Johnson's position was, if you don't execute me, then I would request that you put me and keep me in jail for the rest of my life without any opportunity for parole. In other words, Kevin Johnson wasn't asking for him to be absolved of his crime. He was asking for a different punishment. At no time did Kevin Johnson say, I should not be punished for the crime I committed. He was simply saying, I am entitled for various reasons to having a different punishment than the punishment I received, which was the death penalty. 
Now, again, now let's look back to marijuana. With regard to Amendment 3, if all of the records of those who were convicted for marijuana-related offenses are now expunged, number one, it's going to cost the state of Missouri between 7 and $10 million to expunge those records. We're spending $10 million to expunge the records of people who knowingly broke the law. Secondly, unlike Kevin Johnson, who wasn't trying to avoid his punishment, was simply trying to change the punishment, Amendment 3 says if you knowingly committed a crime related to marijuana, your record is now clear. It's as if it never happened. Is that right? See, I, and, and, and again, the argument is, Brad, you're talking about a joint. Come on, man. Come on, man. It's just, it's just weed. What are you talking about? But from an idea perspective, from a conceptual perspective, is it okay just to say, even though in 2015, John Smith knowingly and knowing that what he was doing was criminal activity and he was convicted of possession, distribution, or sales of marijuana, he did it knowing it was against the law, probably also committed income tax fraud because he was making money off the weed, but you can't report to the IRS that you made money from selling weed in 2015. If that's the position, if you say, well, you knowingly committed that crime and now the state's going to absolve you of that crime, that's wrong. That's wrong. So on many, many levels, from an intellectual perspective, from a practical perspective, Amendment 3 was just wrong. And uh, But it's the law of the land now. It's in the state constitution. And as uh, I believe it was Bill mentioned earlier, we're going to reap the consequences of passing Amendment 3 for many, many years to come. Hey, we've got one more break here before the end of the show this evening. Stick around. We've got more coming up in the last segment of At Your Service on CamelX. You know what's great about Camel X? I, I've been a listener to Camel X since I was five years old. I, try, I have. I, I Just like all of you, or many of you anyway, I grew up listening to Jack Buck call the Cardinals baseball games. And I, I lived in a small town that was and still is, didn't move, it still is about 120 miles away from St. Louis. And yet, with my crackly AM transistor radio, I could listen to every Cardinals game on right here on 50,000 red-hot watts at Camo X. <laughs> Never dreaming that when I grew up, I would get to actually talk to you here on Camo X. Now, why do I make this point? The topics we've talked about tonight have been... <clears throat> Amazing topics. We've had some callers. We've had some texts. X is a forum to discuss ideas like no other in the city of St. Louis or in the St. Louis region, like no other. And also like no other, you can you can turn on Sean Hannity or you can turn on Joy Reid on MSNBC and they're going to talk about ideas, but you don't get to participate in the conversation. Here you do. I've had a lot of texts had a few calls, you get to participate in the conversation. And that, my friends, is why what we have here on KMOX is unlike any other medium. It's not like a, it's different than a podcast. It's different than a TV show. There's just nothing like it. And I hope 
that you appreciate it as much as I do because I've been a listener. I'm still a listener to Camo X, and uh, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. One of the things that I that really caught my eye, and yes, that's a pun intended here, is that the the White House press secretary, Kareem Jean Pierre, said today that the White House was going to keep a close eye on misinformation on Twitter. Now you know that's the thing that it's amazing that that a year ago Elon Musk was the hero of the left everywhere for making electric cars sexy. I mean before Elon Musk, electric cars were junk. They would go about 50 miles. They were they were they looked like a triangle. There was nothing interesting about them and no one bought them. Elon Musk comes around, makes them go 250 miles makes them sexy, exotic-looking, and interesting. He's the hero of the left until he comes out in favor of free speech, and now the left hates him. That, to me, is amazing. Anyway, when asked about the White House, White House's problem with free speech on Twitter, this is what the press secretary said today. I mean, are you concerned about the, you know, Elon Musk says there's more and more uh, subscribers coming online. Are you concerned about that? And what tools do you have? Who is it at the White House that is really keeping track of this? So look, this is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, look, um, we, you know, we have always been very clear um, and that uh, when it comes to social media platforms, it is their responsibility uh, to make sure that um, when it comes to misinformation, when we when we comes to the hate that we're seeing, uh, that they they take action, that they continue uh, to take action. Again, we're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring. And uh, we see, you know, we see it with our own eyes of, of what you all are reporting and just for, for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. Listen to what she said. She said, we're keeping an eye on misinformation on Twitter, and it's the responsibility of Twitter to monitor and to manage the spread of misinformation. Now, in the last hour, I spoke at length. I'm not going to repeat all of that. But I talked at length about the problems that we're seeing in the China crackdowns over COVID. And the idea that we don't want the government controlling our speech, we don't want the government managing our speech. And yet this is almost exactly what we're seeing the White House doing here is telling the social media company to manage what the government says is misinformation. Do you want the government telling you what is and what is not misinformation? Because let me, this is just off the top of my head. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not coming up with any of, uh, I don't have any of this prepared. But just think in the last, last couple of years, the government told us that COVID-19 was originally, was, was, is naturally occurring and had nothing to do with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now the predominant evidence is that it did probably come out. We don't know for sure, but it probably did come out. But if you said that on social media, you were banned. Initially, social media uh, prevented you from saying that the Hunter laptop story is bogus, it's irrelevant, it's misinformation. And if you said anything about the Hunter Biden laptop story, you were stricken from social media. Now, as of last week, even CBS News said 
The Hunter laptop story is real and it's legitimate. Uh, initially, we were told that masks would stop the spread of COVID. And then later we were told that, well, it doesn't really stop the spread of COVID. It can only diminish the spread of COVID. We were initially told that the shots, the vaccine, and listen, I've even got my last booster uh, a month ago. I'm, I'm not anti-COVID vaccine in any way. Yet we were told if you got the vaccine, it would prevent you from getting COVID. And now the majority of COVID cases are from those who had the vaccine. Yes, they're less severe. Yes, they're not as uh, damaging. But that's not what we were told initially. And if you disagreed with that, you were labeled misinformation. Why am I saying all of that? We don't want the government telling us and defining for us what is misinformation. Because when we do, we're one step closer to what we're seeing right this moment in China. Right this moment. And that to me, is extremely concerning. And that's why this lawsuit has been filed by Eric Schmidt and will hopefully be carried on by our new Missouri Attorney General is so critical because it demonstrates collusion between the federal government and social media. Just this week, I believe it was yesterday, Anthony Fauci was deposed for seven hours in the Eric Schmidt case. And we don't know the results of that deposition. I'm anxious to see what's in that deposition transcript. And I hopefully that will be eventually released. But seven hours of depositions. Folks, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out of there. And the former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is also scheduled to be deposed, as is the head of Department of Homeland Security and many others. Because this lawsuit literally gets to the heart of whether the government can or should control our speech. Hey, coming up here after the break, we've got the best of Dave Glover at 10 o'clock. And uh, listen, there's going to be some lively conversations based upon the texts that he received today. So you're going to want to stick around for the best of Dave Glover coming up here at 10 o'clock. I'm Brad Young. See you next week on At Your Service. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.